I set out to do this um, specifically to do it in Cleveland. Uh, when, when, I, when I decided, when I went through my own diligence, I decided I was going to go do another early startup and I was willing to pour, you know, four to seven years of my livelihood into it and uh, tell my wife and kids like, sorry, you know, yep, yep. I'm going to work 78 hours, 80 hours a week. I want to do it in Cleveland. I want to like be one of the people who said, hey, we did it here. I think we just need, need a lot more of that. Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland and coming to you live from the very same place. Today's guest is Gerald Hetrick. Gerald has a decorated past here in Cleveland's entrepreneurial space as a technology leader at MCPC, as a co-founder, CTO, and COO at Vox Mobile, and more recently as the CEO of Able, which was formerly known as EmployStream. Uh, Gerald has also been a, a mentor of mine during my, my time here in Cleveland. After Votum's collapse transpired in, in February of 2019, I found myself seeking out and talking to uh, as many founders and builders as I could across Cleveland to better understand what, what everyone was working on, which was very much the inspiration for what the Lay of the Land podcast has now become. Uh, but during those conversations, I, I'd connected with Gerald, who graciously took me on as, as a consultant at, at then Employee Stream, now Able. Uh, during that summer, though, to help him think through the the future of work and healthcare staffing opportunity leading up to Able Series B round, I've learned a lot from Gerald in, in our time working together. And, and frankly, he's one of the reasons I'm I'm still here in Cleveland after the challenges experienced at, at Votum. And so I'm I'm really excited to share his story and the story of Able. So please enjoy our conversation. Before we kind of dive into Able and and what what you're working on now. I'd love if you know if you're reading your Wikipedia page, <laughs> can you give us a little bit about the threads that you've pulled on throughout your career and you know the story of how it is that you got to to where you are today? Yeah, wow, I'm pretty old, so it feels like <laughs> <laughs> you know it's funny. I, I've all, for for the longest time I was always the youngest person at the table in a lot of different settings. I would always feel a little have a little bit of insecurity related to like my lack of experience. You know, when we were, whether it was in you know, founding situations of businesses or leadership roles or whatnot. But now I look back and I think I'm actually one of the oldest people at my company, and my experience set is uh, is probably the deepest. So I, I didn't you know set out to become an entrepreneur per se, and I I just never really liked following rules or never really liked being told what to do, and always seemed to kind of you know choose a different direction if someone was pushing me somewhere hard. So, you know, I, I, I wasn't able to just take the easy way out and go to college, um, which would have been the easier thing for me to do. And I wasn't able to just take the, the easier jobs day one. I always had to go do something different. And so for me, I, I kind of really, really fell in love with the concept of building things. I started working at a, a local uh, IT value-added reseller here in Cleveland when I was 17. And they were on a spree of big, they got acquired and then they were, they were, the, the acquiring company was buying many other businesses. And I got the opportunity to move around the country and, and help them open offices and, and consolidate, you know, operations. And I just really loved the, the, the idea of, of building things. So really kind of fell in love with the concept of building things and then accidentally just started doing that more and more and got the opportunity to be part of the founding team of my last startup, Vox Mobile. I got the opportunity to help a number of other folks here in the city and otherwise, you know, you know, start little businesses. And, uh, and it seems like that's all, it seems like a limited amount of history, but it sure has been a long time. Nice. Can you expand a, a little bit on, on Vox Mobile and the story there? Yeah. So Vox is a managed service business. It's a mobile managed service business. So it's, it's basically a, a tech enabled outsourcing company that allows really large businesses 
to outsource the the operations of their mobile device program. So large companies often give employees devices or give them apps or encourage them to use devices and apps to you know do business. And Novox is one of the only companies in the country that offers you know a full suite of outsourcing services for that. So you know software and software support to help those devices get connected and um, you know help desk services and procurement services and all the a full, a full suite of, of of services and solutions to really help uh, a mobile device program be really uh, really effective. I was part of a organization called MCPC. Um, I was actually one of the, the first employees there. I, I really, well, actually, the, the weekend MCPC was uh, was founded, I, I didn't sleep because I was building our IT infrastructure over over the entire weekend. But <laughs> MCPC did a wonderful job at organizing technology offerings into practices. And uh, a, a guy named Chris Snyder, the COO of that business, was really passionate about this mobile device management practice or this mobile managed service practice that we had internally. It didn't really fit into the into the the, the long term strategic plans of MCPC, and so he had, he had the opportunity to to take it private. And I joined him in in the founding of that business in 2006, I believe it was. And so it was awesome. We took a really great action oriented founding team that we moved that away from MCPC and and and, and built it kind of the ground up here in Cleveland. Uh, it's still a really you know great viable business here locally. It employs a couple hundred people and you know, doing really well. Nice. So you spent a few years there building, growing. Yeah, 10, 10 years, 10 years. 10 years there. Wow. So in the transition from, from Vox Mobile to Employee Stream, can you share a bit about how, how that transition occurred and you know, having gone through the process of being on the founding team and building something kind of from inception to more than 100 employees making the decision to, <laughs> just to try it again? Yeah, um, you know, it feels like it was just yesterday, honestly, but it was almost four years ago now. You know, I, I'm I'm human, and there's nothing different about startup CEOs or founders or whatever the magical term of the day is. I mean, we're all still human. I, and after ten years at, at at Vox, I was just getting anxious and was really starting to contemplate the value that I was delivering to the business versus you know versus what it what it costs and and how I could you know how 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 maybe you know a fresh start and someone in my role or fresh voices in the business might benefit it and so I really started to get anxious about you know when when it would be my time you know my turn or the right time for me to step down I kind of knew that about 12 months before I did and uh, you know started talking with the leadership team there and our board there and Basically, at the end of, I think it was the end of 2017, you know, we were doing some strategic planning for the next year. And I just decided that, you know, hey, it was, it's kind of my time to leave. And so we came to an agreement with with Chris and the rest of the board about how I would exit. And we built did some succession planning. I had a really very incredibly strong um, leadership team that supported me. And most of those, many of those folks are still there doing great things. And so I was not planning on going to do another startup type endeavor. I was planning on taking a little bit of time off, you know, a couple months, maybe maybe a little bit of the, the winter off. And frankly, my my fairy tale dream at that point was to just go work at you know a Microsoft or a VMware or a Cisco and uh, do a couple years at a larger company with better benefits and maybe you know higher pay. And <laughs> I hate to say this, maybe relax a little bit because the you know the startup grind can be can be really challenging. And then I was introduced to um, actually Chris gave me a call one uh, one day. I, I think it might have even been my last day at Vox after we were celebrating. Chris gave me a call and said, "Hey, I you know one of my my buddies has this." this idea for a business and they've, they've built a product and they've incubated inside of their own organization and, and, and talked to some beta customers and they need someone to come launch it and build it. And so frankly, I took that meeting. I went and met them and took the meeting completely out of courtesy. I, I, I had no real interest. I just didn't, I, I didn't feel like I had the grind in me for, for a while. I felt like I needed to you know, rest and maybe go through some rehab. And so I met this gentleman named Aaron Grossman, who's really well known here in Cleveland. 
he's a very passionate guy, particularly about technology and how it can enable businesses to do to, to, to be much greater. And I met him and he pitched me on the concept and said, you know, we're just looking for someone that's got the got the chops and wherewithal to come come build something. And so I left the meeting and I was still very much, you know, not seriously, take, not, not taking it very serious. But um, I spent the next couple of weeks just getting to know him and, and you know, the other founder, a guy named Rob Sable, and um, just fell in love with the, the concept of selling, you know, HR software into a very boxed in space, which was the staffing market, which is the market they're selling into. I, I started to romanticize the, 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 the concept of building again and forgot all the challenging times and only remember the great times. <laughs> I started to think about, you know, really, I was, I was excited about all the things I, I, I believed I had done wrong or that you know, we didn't do effectively when we built Vox and, you know, could I, could I learn from those mistakes and apply them? And, you know, all the times where I was in the, my, I told you so moments, like I told you we should have done this differently. Could I, was that actually true? And so, so I, I basically decided to take that gig on Christmas day of 2016. I believe it was, it started the right after the new year in 2017. It was a monster transition. You know, I went from a business where we had gone through the, you know, the, the first couple of years, you know, startup phase and we had, you know, departments of people and we had support folks and we had plenty of people to, to, do, to do things. And suddenly I was uh, the only employee and with, with some other folks that were spending, splitting, splitting their time between us and the, and the, and the staffing agency, which, which where we work from. So I had to lift the business, get it off the ground, get it funded, get it commercialized and, 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 and then figure out how to, uh, how to, you know, how, how to get into customer acquisition mode, how to hire, how to make sure the product could get sold and, and, and do all that with, a, with enough velocity such that we could prove some sustainability pretty quickly. How much of that is easier the, the second time around? Uh, you know, I don't know if it, any of it was easier. Uh, it was different. And, you know, some of it felt like flexing muscles that I had already developed versus, you know, just maybe some guesswork from the first time. Some, I mean, maybe some instincts. I trusted some instincts more the second time. But, you know, I, I, I don't know if it was very much, very, very easier. I mean, the first time... Well, maybe because I was much younger, I was you know mid twenties and very idealistic. The first time, you just you're full of hope and passion, and and you know nothing can stop you, and every little roadblock is just is is part of the journey, and you're powering through it, and can't wait to write the book about it. The second time, I think you dwell on things a bit more, and you are you know you're a bit more I don't want to say conservative, but but certainly a bit more measured in how you ad- address problems because you know you know there can be longer term consequences. So uh, it's just different. I, I can't say I can't say it was easier. <laughs> Got it. Well, with the with the transition, uh, I, I'd love to talk a bit more about the company, which is you know since rebranded to Able. Um, yep. in, in your kind of announcement of it, you wrote to the world that I'll quote here: uh, d- "Deep down, we believe that no matter who someone is, what job they do, whether they are temporary or permanent, every employee can and should be able to have a great first day." So formally, uh, employee stream. But I love if you could tell us a bit more about what Able means to you um, and what kind of this rebranding means for the company and, and for customers and, you know, a bit about the, the staffing industry. It was a multi-pronged set of reasons to rebrand. The first was no one that works at our business right now was part of the, the, the creation of the name Employee Stream. Someone told me a long time ago that all important things have a name and you, you try to build some emotional connection to that name. And, you know, we really didn't believe that there was a real real great emotionally connected story around the name employee stream. Also people call us employee stream and it just got under my skin like crazy. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I, we, I, I heard employee stream probably once a week and it just, it just really started to affect me. But, but, but further, you know, we're, we're unap- unapologetically a startup, you know, we want to be a startup. We want to have that kind of agility and that vigor and that passion. 
we wanted to have a brand that we felt was a powerful platform to go do all kinds of cool startup stuff. I just felt that you know, the brand we had, we was a little bit tired and was a little bit, it just it didn't, didn't feel like it was a launching off point. And it also kind of boxed us into this, to kind of one kind of concept. And so we wanted to do the very traditional, find a, find a, a, a single syllable word if possible, something that could be, have a lot of different meanings, something that we, people could connect to, that could say easily. And we, uh, we actually hired an agency to, to do a little bit of a search for us, interview us and customers and all the fancy stuff that the marketing, creative marketing agencies do. And they pitched us on the idea. We loved it a lot. And so for me, the concept of ABLE is just, is just about, you know, and we, we have the tagline, ready, willing, able. And it sounds a bit corny, but it's, it's, it's rooted in truth in that we think that, our, um, you know, we service staffing companies of which there's, you know, there's all, there's 20,000 recruiting agencies in the United States alone. And about 10,000 of those are temporary, uh, you know, employ temporary work for work, workers. And, uh, and we, those are our type of customers and, and they do, you know, the concept of able is that there's people that are ready and willing to go to work. And we, we help the staffing companies make them able, able to go to work by delivering on this really incredible automated, you know, highly intuitive onboarding experience. So there's a lot of, a lot of um, utility in the name from a, from a, a, a propellant for startups but also a lot of, uh, hopefully a lot of emotional connection and, and a brand that we can be, we can be really proud of. Yeah, absolutely. It was a very exciting, you know, rebrand. It's not something that I think you see often at all. It, it has a nice, a nice ring. I got some, I got some sideways looks on it. You know, so, so people like, Hey, <laughs> is rebranding really that important to a startup? Is it, is it really something you should spend any money on? Um, and we sat on it for a year. I mean, we actually, we had the, the brand framework mostly built and the name decided and everything ready. We sat on it for almost a year. We hired a new chief marketing officer. And in the process of hiring him, I realized that it'd be kind of like, you know, hiring an offensive coordinator, then handing them the playbook you wanted them to run uh, later. And so I, I really wanted him to be able to join and, and kind of take the brand and, you know, stretch it out a bit and play with it a bit and then make sure we could deliver it the right way. But yeah, it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, you know, sure. Some people along the way probably thought it was a distraction that we shouldn't undertake, but we, uh, I really felt very passionately that, that we needed to build a bigger platform. Yeah, absolutely. How large is ABLE today? We have just under 50 employees. We actually, COVID was a really interesting acceleration of our, of our distributed work opportunities for us. So we, so we like, like many people in March, decided to go work from home on, you know, on a Friday. Actually, I think we, I, I, I sent a note over Slack, the team on a Thursday, Thursday night that says, hey, we're going to, in debt, we're going to go indefinitely to work from home. And then, and then the governor, you know, did the stay at home order the, the next day. So I felt like, hey, I was, I was, I was in front <laughs> of it. And when we did that, we also were in the midst of deciding to double the size of our engineering team. You know, whilst we were planning for how we were going to recruit, we realized that, hey, you know, we've got all these people working from home. Maybe we could expand our search and don't just look in Cleveland. And based on that, we now have almost 50 employees uh, in 10 different states. So the, the, the vast majority are here in, here in Cleveland, you know, 35 or so are here in Cleveland. But we, we have people in, in, uh, in L.A., we have people in Austin, we have a couple of people in Chicago, we've got people in Michigan. So it's, it's, it's been great to see the distributed workforce come together. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, actually, given that you know, the work that ABLE is doing is very much focused on the future of work and technology in the workplace and how COVID has certainly thrown a wrench or, you know, it probably accelerated the degree to which companies have to or are, you know, push in the direction of, of going remote. From that perspective, you know, how, how have you seen COVID affect ABLE more, more broadly from a business perspective and also internally as a, as a company? Yeah, I mean, it's there's there's been some good and bad, some good and bad points. I mean, on w- one hand, yes. So uh, again, our our customers are staffing agencies, so they they hire at massive scale. So to give you an idea, in in May, which I think was the first month we measured it, we had, we had about twelve thousand people completed onboarding 
through our platform. Uh, last month, about 60,000 people completed onboarding through our platform. And so the work from home environment has created this need to remotely onboard people. So staffing agencies in a lot, of, a lot of different times would have people come to their office and go through this onboarding process. And while we've always pitched that part of our value is to eliminate that, that need for people to come to the office, not, I don't think many companies really leverage that. I think they like the concept of, hey, can people come see who we are, come to our brick and mortar. And, uh, and so suddenly remote onboarding was a requirement, right? And it was, it was that if you're going to hire these 10,000 people this month, which, which many staffing agencies hire that many people, you have to do it remotely. And so not only did that just did that pop like a rapid, rapid growth for us. It also made a bunch of organizations that weren't otherwise thinking very strategically about technology to start thinking very strategically about technology. Further, it made a bunch of organizations that weren't really well prepared to think about strategically about technology believe they had to do that. So we've had just, just this unpredictable amount of inbound feature requests, feature demands, uh, just all of the nightmare stuff that <laughs> software companies feel <laughs> when, when, when every customer does something a bit differently. And so We've had to figure out how to balance that. Like, how do, how do we build macro? How do, how do we think about things strategically from a macro level to benefit all customers, but also also satisfy some very strategic customers on an individual level? Further, the level of growth, the, the, rap, the, the rapid growth we went through has exposed some things in our business. I mean, most products have cracks and crevices, and ours is no different. We didn't, you know, we didn't, some, some of them we were aware of that weren't, weren't major issues that we had some time to, 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 to resolve. Some of them we weren't aware of, but, but rapid growth has, has forced all of that to the forefront. And so we've had to be really, really, really um, targeted about how we handle that. So we've become overrun on the support side. We've become overrun, overrun on some of the, you know, the customer success uh, dealings. So it's been a bit of a challenge. I mean, selling the business has had to level up rapidly from, a, from an operations perspective. And we're, and we're right, right in the midst of that firefight. Then, you know, we provide this, this automated onboarding platform that connects to the government's e-verify service. So for citizenship verification, which is a really hot topic right now, and, uh, and also leverages a third party for um, digital signature. Both of those tools are, have gone through explosive growth related to COVID work from home as well. Both of them have had their own technology challenges. So we have, you know, we have down channel outages that impact our customers more than we would like. So, it, you know, on one hand, the growth has been fantastic and we're able to accelerate the business rapidly. On the other hand, you know, we, 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 you know, we're out in front of our skis a little bit uh, in some cases, and we're having to catch up real, real quick to on, on service, service debt and tech debt and operations maturity debt. Yep. That's in some ways, good problems to have, though the rapid growth. Oh, is always I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a I'm a different kind of cat when it comes to building a startup. I, my my notion is go get customers, sell, get customers. You know, let's get to market, let's find product market fit, and let's try to uh, let's try to exploit it as fast as possible. Building the perfect product and the perfect engine um, without real idea of what what you can get. I just don't. I don't think it's a sustainable, particularly you know, in, in midwestern type of uh, type of valuations. And so, you know, I would much rather have customers. And have uh, you know have a delivery challenge that we can remedy versus sitting around trying to figure out who we should go, who, how we're ever going to sell it. Hmm. Uh, tying in the Midwestern valuations, in addition to really the confluence of things that is going on at Able at the moment, the rebranding, the rapid growth. You're also off the back of a seven million dollars Series B raise. Could, could you talk a bit more about raising in Cleveland? You know what that process was like for you, having kind of successfully navigated. One of the larger rounds that the that a company has seen in, in recent history. Yeah, we did. Uh, we actually did nine million total, including uh, so seven million in equity and a couple billion in debt. It was led by Plymouth Growth Partners, which is a, an Ann Arbor, Michigan company, and our entire existing cap table of institutional investors. Uh, so Jumpstart, uh, North Coast Angel Fund, which is now North Coast North Coast Ventures, Ohio Innovation Fund, M25 out of Chicago, 
Um, I think I've got everyone there. And then, and then a bunch of really awesome, amazing local angels have been, you know, supporting us for a while. So everyone participated in that. You know, uh, sometimes I think we, we overuse the term, like, it's tough to raise a Cleveland or we think about Cleveland specifically. It's really, there's, there's a regional situation we're, we're dealing with in which, and some of it is we just have built a story for ourselves that says the Midwest is different. So it should be different. Um, you know, there's no doubt that we don't see typically see the valuations that you might get in Silicon Valley in the peninsula, or you might get in Austin or you might get in Boston. We're not seeing those massive, huge multiple valuations, pre-revenue valuations that enable companies to go, you know, build palatial office suites and, you know, hire the greatest machine learning talent in the world and build an incredible product and then and figure out how to go to market later. You know, we don't really have that for sure, but we certainly have, you know, plenty of great start startup mindset here. And there's, there's, there are, you know, there are no shortage of venture capital firms that are, have, have, um, you know, a desire to invest in the Midwest. And I think there, there's this, is this, um, I don't know, maybe this myth of challenge that isn't as, uh, isn't as real, but, but there is, there is something to be said for the fact that it's tough. It's tough to raise here in that you have to get to revenue. You have to return money to shareholders. You have to show you're on a path to do that. Um, particularly with the, the funds that are, that are Midwestern focused primarily, you know, this is not a great, not, it doesn't seem to be a great region as a, for, for platform companies. And, and I'm talking mostly in the, in the, on the, you know, the tech side. I mean, certainly we have an entirely, entire kind of, you know, uh, healthcare, medical device, you know, pharmaceutical, you know, culture that's, that's, that's different. And, 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 you know, a lot of pre-revenue uh, valuations, get, big valuations get pulled together there. But as far as the tech startup world, I mean, yeah, I think of it as a kind of a pragmatic approach on everyone's, uh, from everyone's standpoint, you know, put together pragmatic operating teams, put together pragmatic valuations and, and, and raise money and deploy it pragmatically. It's, it feels like it's just a, a little bit more of a measured approach here. No, I just kind of, I just kind of riffed there. I wasn't, I didn't really answer any questions. So, <laughs> so, so, sorry about that. No, that's okay. We can, we can riff a bit more. You mentioned the almost like mischaracterization of Cleveland, and I, I, I know you kind of put out an article recently speaking to, to that mischaracterization, and you know, speaking to what there is here in Cleveland, the support of startups having a great foundation, the investment that is happening in the region, beer, sports, yeah. you know, like. <laughs> in less COVID uh, afflicted times, but sure. in your perspective, how do we work to address the mischaracterization that persists? I just, I, it, it, I, I get, I get frustrated as I guess, I, I guess as I get older and more grouchy about this, you know, we say, Oh, it's tough to do a, to have a startup in Cleveland. You know, you can't do it. You got to go to the West coast. And, and then sometimes that happens. We, we just keep saying that. And we say it just because the last person said it. And, and it just feels like that's the thing. That's the thing to say. I mean, I, I you know, I can't tell you the amount of venture capital firms have reached out and you know done the whole hey hey we like we, we like your story can we talk and we had the preliminary conversation with an analyst or maybe sometimes it's over email with a bot or, or whatever it is and and they say like yeah we've got this really we'd love to invest in the Midwest and then you're you know an hour into the conversation your first couple of conversations and they're like hey would you ever consider moving out to you know moving out to the valley would you move out and it, it happens very very frequently and I just I feel like you know someone has to I shouldn't say someone I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal but 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 there has to be a a, a a generation of startups that decides not to do that and that decides to, uh, you know, fight it out here. And I think we could quickly kind of put, you know, that issue to bed. There's no doubt, if you just think about pure economics, there's no doubt we have less people. Uh, we have less university. We have less highly educated people. We have less, we don't have, you know, Google that just shoots off tens of thousands of, you know, entrepreneurial minded people in a region on a, on a yearly basis. We, we don't have some of that. So we do have to fight against those things, but that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that there's not an incredible amount of talent that is either here 
that we should try to work to get to stay here or is here that, that, that we can enable to get here. And, you know, for us, yeah, it might be easier. It might have been easier to take ABLE out to the West Coast and not have recruiting issues and be able to hire super incredible people, you know, without, without thinking about it and get great valuations. But I think we, I, I set out to do this um, specifically to do it in Cleveland. Uh, when, when, I, when I decided, when I went through my own diligence, I decided I was going to go do another early startup and I was willing to pour, you know, four to seven years of my livelihood into it. And I uh, tell my wife and kids like, sorry, you know, yep, yep. I'm going to work 78 hours, 80 hours a week. I want to do it in Cleveland. I want to like be one of the people who said, Hey, we did it here. I think we just need, need a lot more of that. And uh, it feels like that's happening. I mean, I, I've got to know the startup ecosystem here and there's just so much great, you know, there's, there's a ton of ideation and there's a, a ton of people trying, you know, trying really hard. And I think if that starts to, you know, converge with more available capital, that's just easier to get deployed here. I think we'll, I think we'll be good. I, I do think, um, here's one of the best things. We had to hire seven, seven or eight engineers here recently, and there were some high-end roles. And we look at the roles and be like, ah, oh, man, are we going to be able to find that in Cleveland? The answer to some of that was no. We, we, just did, we just didn't think there was a great candidate pool in Cleveland. But it didn't mean we couldn't be a Cleveland company because of that. You know, we, are, you know we, 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 can, we can think about this new world of work in which we're all we're, we're remote and we're embracing remote culture and leverage town all over the place still enabling a, you know, a Cleveland or a Midwestern company. I think, I think there's a, just a new way to think about it or a different way to think about it. Yeah. One of my favorite patterns I've found just talking to people building uh, here in Cleveland is that that collective like chip on the shoulder that we want to do it here. We want to we want to build it here. Yeah, I, I um, I have a really good friend. His name's Hardik. He works at Jumpstart, who's a local investment and services organization here in Cleveland. A great organ, a great um, resource for for potential startups. He's awesome in that he'll routinely find these like little hidden gem success stories, like. You know, not everything has to be like a, 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 a AI tech company to be successful, right? He'll find these like little hidden gem, like, hey, did you know we had an exit of a couple hundred million dollars of a of a manufacturing company in Solon? Like, he'll 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 find these and be like, there's way more happening here regionally. There's way more successful economic creation and economy creation type stuff happening here than we're willing to give ourselves credit for. And just because they're not all huge big unicorn tech companies doesn't mean that there's not you know a lot of a lot of great stuff happening. And just because they're not all you know, cover my meds and root insurance and the, you know, these great, wonderful stories. You know, there, there's plenty of, you know, of Vox Mobiles out there, you know, businesses that are, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25, $50 million and are, you know, going to operate and, and, and create a lot of great jobs and, and have really successful outcomes for shareholders along the way. And there's plenty, of, there's pl- I think there's plenty of that regionally. And I think we just need to embrace that, you know, we're, 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 we're both of those things. We are, we are both uh, a region that can um, support unicorns if, if they if they're willing to, to to take a chance of starting here and can support you know great thoughtful operating you know good businesses. One one of the things I, I just wanted to circle back to you uh, was I, in the same way that uh, this new world of remote work is going to allow you know companies like Able to leverage a more a less regional workforce to find talent that is not uh, limited by geography. I feel like the the narrative from a VC perspective, those those bots, <laughs> analysts, VCs that are asking, you know, hey, how about a move out to the West Coast? That's kind of got to have a ripple effect in the same way that, that that question makes increasingly less sense going forward. Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, well, I mean, we've had we've had some some examples here of, of people who have done that successfully. But I mean, what you want. So, so one, of, one of the challenges I think we have um, in the startup community here regionally is leadership. I mean, we've got great, great ideation and a lot of great energy and passion and um, access to capital. You know, there's, there's startup capital available out there. But I mean, leadership is a challenge. I mean, not, not everyone's built to be, you know, people might have wonderful ideas and can get something built, but they might not be built to, to get a business from, 
from a founding idea to a revenue generating business. And so you want to try to find people not to toot my own horn too much, but you want to try to find people like me that have done it and been there and you know, are willing to go put some time into it. It's not reasonable for, for, you know, everyone that's, you know, got the capacity still and, and to, to, and, and the experience to go build a startup that uh, it's not reasonable to ask them to move across the country all, all the time. Right. And, and it's certainly, I think it's a, it's a lazy way. It's a lazy thing to ask. And it's somewhat offensive. You know, I, I used to get much more off- offended by it. like, why would you need me to move across across the country? Just assuming my employees aren't smart. You're just assuming they can't go do great stuff. You know, you're talking to me because we've done something good. <laughs> so yeah, I think that I think that'll probably get swashed a bit because we're you know people are just so distributed and you know the home office concept is uh, you know the, the the headquartered office concept is 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 changing a bit to the to the home office concept. So I I, I hope it does have a ripple effect of of slowing down. What does leadership mean to you? Oh boy. So I think there's connectivity. So it's not enough to just say, you know, I, I think I'm the, I'm the, this isn't a democracy and I'm the, I'm the core decision maker. You have to really be connected to, you know, the people, the, you know, I mean, obviously the employees and people and their personal stories. Uh, so connectivity, transparency, I'm a huge fan of just trying to be as tra- transparent as possible at every turn and really make, you know, particularly in a startup, you're asking people to to really give a lot of themselves. Um, you're asking people to love it like you love it, uh, love it like the founder loves it, and you know make decisions every day that supports that and be wrong and then iterate really quickly. And so I just think you have to be super transparent about, uh, you know, as a leader, you have to be very transparent about how you're, you're embracing, you're, how you're, you're attacking problems and, and make sure there's not a, a level of, of disconnect between, wow, that's the, that's the leader, or that's the CEO, or that's the manager, that he would never never go do this you want people to see that you know you, you would do it and so transparency connectivity accountability be, uh, we have one core value at able which is own it and the whole thing it's it's all about you know own mistakes own successes own your own journey come tell us come tell me if you if you, if you need more come tell me if you want to go i mean like oh, like just 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 be a super accountable to it and be willing to be accountable to it so i, I think um you know that the old ad is be willing to do the work you're asking other people to do i, I don't i mean I, I'm, I'm running a uh, a, a tech startup um, and I can't write a line of code, so that's not necessarily true. But I want people to know that I'm willing to do anything else. <laughs> I'm, willing to, I'm, willing, I'm willing to do whatever whatever it takes. I'm trying not to just sound um, cliche and what everyone <laughs> says leader, leadership is. I hope that if you would ask people if, if I'm a good leader, and for those people that would say yes, I hope they'd say he's really transparent. He's open. He is uh, action oriented. I don't. I think dwelling on problems and mistakes is, is a mistake. I think you have to you have to you have to dive into solutions quickly, iterate from those really quickly, and then and then if you want to do a postmortem to to try to learn something from it. That's that's fine. Once you once you've solved something, willingness to iterate. I learned a lot from our last gig and even before that at MCPC, and um, learned a lot about how to build offerings and opportunity and, and try to create economy around it and you know build go to market plans. And I think willingness to iterate on plans is a is a huge is a huge thing and, and, and have people contribute to the to that iteration. You know, really take people's per- feedback productively. Be willing to debate it and 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 make sure everyone's heard. It's that whole buy-in versus consensus culture. Consensus culture. I really try to have a uh, operate a buy-in oriented culture versus consensus. So I think I think hopefully people would say that that's they like that style of leadership and that you know they they get that from me. That makes a lot of sense. When you look forward to what you hope to achieve with Able in in the years to come, what what is the kind of impact that that you hope to have? 
so obviously we're so we well not, so we're, we are a venture capital back startup as we talked about earlier. So you know venture capital back startups are built to exit, and that means to you know sell the sell the shares of the company and create cash that goes into shareholders' hands. And so obviously we want to I want to have done that successfully. And I, I want you know, reputationally to 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 say that was a, it was a success. I wanted I wanted to I want to say we have we did that the right way. We made smart decisions. We thought about everyone at the you know in a, in a very peri pursue way, meaning employees, customers, and shareholders all got thought about. At all major major strategic decisions, you know, one of my favorite things about Vox, I can count on you know on more than one hand the amount of people that joined us in very entry level roles. You know, in a lot of cases as temporary workers that have that have leveraged that and catapulted and catapulted into really great careers. I like to think the culture we built there and the and 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 and, and you know some of the impact that that culture had on people who helped that. I want I want able to be the same thing, and I I really want people to see us as a launching off point. There's a uh, a lady named Jill Ratterstorff, and she was on our board until recently. And she says, used to tell, say to me, or has said to me a couple of times, you know, one of the great things about successful startups is that they they spawn other successful startups. And can you have, can you take a, you know, a successfully exited company and, you know, have three to five other startups come out of that? And I think if, if we can instill a spirit of entrepreneurship in our organ in our employees, and those of them that are willing to be crazy enough to take that plunge, if we can kind of like, be an acceleration to, to other folks. Jump that I, I to me that would be a wonderful success. I'd love to work for one of my employees one day in their own startup. I, I just I think I, I just get so I get giddy when I think about the potential for that success. Um, I want people to enjoy their time. You know, it's a tough time at us for us right now because we're growing so fast and we're asking people to work you know incredible amount of hours and you know you know that that and you, you get these grinding moments in the ebbs and flows of a startup. And I think we're we're definitely one of those grinding moments. But I want people to look back at the aggregate and say, hey, that was awesome. I love that experience. I really loved working with Gerald and the team, and I met some great people there. And it, you know, I, I'm, I was happy I spent that time in Cleveland doing that. And and then I mean, I really do think again, we had sixty thousand people. The last thing they did before they started a job last month was you know do something in our platform. I really want to make sure you know that we're we're trying to live up to that that promise of making sure of allowing those people to have a great first day. And so, you know, the, 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 the real deep part of that mission is that there are lots of organizations, lots of HCM companies, lots of HR companies that are building software to make sure full-time employees that are going to spend a lot of time in an organization are, are, are have, have an incredible first experience. The industry we serve is, is mostly temporary and contract workers, you know, people who are, you know, either um, you know, going to go work at an Amazon warehouse or going to go, you know, take a, a temporary job in a factory or, you know, as a, in the, in the entertainment business. And we want to make sure um, that those people, they're still starting a job. It's still this great moment. It's still the, the culmination of the American dream, right? I'm, someone's going to hire me. They're going to pay me to go do something. I'm going to put food on the table. And we think those, you know, those people, whether it's a, a you know, 30 years in a pension or, 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 or a one month assignment, they, you know, that the beginning should be a really wonderful, joyous experience. And we, we, we want to be part of that. And I'd hope that when it's all said and done, or when I'm no longer there, or when we're in a different, you know, different place, that uh, we'll, we'll say we will have we have, we will have delivered that to some degree. Yeah, ready, willing, and able, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, that's awesome. To kind of close out here, one of the things that we are collecting as we go through this is not necessarily your favorite thing about Cleveland, but something that is like a hidden gem of sorts um, as hmm. we try and map the Cleveland ecosystem more broadly. But you know, in your in your mind, what is uh, your kind of favorite hidden gem? Wow. Um, so Cleveland, I just think is this, it's an incredible four seasons place, right? You have, you have this, the, you have, you have, you have a winter, you have a summer, you have a spring, albeit short and a fall, albeit short, <laughs> but you have the, you have these, uh, super four seasons place. There's everything that there's, there's so, there's so much stuff to embrace around all of those, all those things. And I, I obviously, if you've read up on me, I love sports. I'm a Midwestern 
guy at heart. I love sports. I love cooking. I love breweries. I love all, all that stuff that stereotypically is expected of me for living in the Midwest. But I, um, if I was to say my favorite hidden gem it might not be so much of a hidden gem, but I, I can't believe the people I, I still meet that haven't attended is the, is the Lake Erie islands. You know, my wife and I love going up to Kelly's Island uh, in the summer. We, we, the, the summer we took our children up there a couple of times. It's just this awesome, particularly when you learn the history of the Lake Erie islands and, and, and so how, how they've played, how they're, they've been uh, impactful in wars and, the largest set of glacier grooves in the country is up on Kelly's Island in Lake Erie, which is amazing. Uh, I think there's there's some really some really cool stuff up there. So that's I guess that'd be my favorite. Like when people, when I'm on an airplane back when we used to travel, and I sit ne- sit next to someone, they'd be like, "Where are you from?" I'd say, "Cleveland." Oh, cool. Like, tell me something about it. I'd be like, "Oh, if you're ever there, you got to go." You know, everyone's gonna say, "Go to Cedar Point." Go go up to Lake Erie Islands. Go up to Kelly's Island. You have you have a blast. So I love that. I also love some of the kind of cool breweries that have popped up. I love Masthead downtown and. Uh, I, I love the whole community of Lakewood and, and Ohio city and just some, just some really, really awesome, awesome parts of the city. Nice. And adding, it to my, my bucket list for Cleveland. If people have any questions or, or things that they would like to follow up with you about Gerald, where is the best place for them to, to do so? Uh, I say probably find me on LinkedIn, shoot me a message. That's the easiest. Otherwise um, I'm Gerald at ableteams.com. Happy to take emails. But yeah, I think one of the, one of those two things is, is pretty is pretty easy. Wonderful. Well, I really appreciate you coming on today and and telling your story. Thank you very much. All right, thanks, Ben. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, so shoot us an email at layoftheland@upside.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland, at the Tagen, or at Sternhefe, J E F E. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please email us or find us on Twitter and let us know. And if you love our show, please leave a review on iTunes. That goes a long way in helping us spread the word and continue to help bring high-quality guests to the show. Jeff and I decided there were a couple of things we wanted to share with you at the end of the podcast. And so, here we go. Tegan Horton and Jeffrey Stern developed the Lay of the Land podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we did not own equity or other financial interests in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of Founders Get Funds and its affiliates or actual and its affiliates or any entity which employ us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment advice on this show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week.